0: Well, Jesus can do very little for a man that can see, but he can do a whole lot for men that are blind. We come upon John chapter 9 today, and it is without doubt one of the most beautifully constructive narratives in all of the Bible. It's one of my favorite stories of a blind man, a beggar by the side of the temple, whose life was forever changed in a moment that he had not anticipated. It was a surprise to him. And as we look at this well-constructive narrative uh, with its um, heroes and villains and those who hadn't got a clue as to what was going on, it's just beautifully, beautifully laid out. So I want us to look at the passage as a whole to begin with, notice some of the characteristics of John chapter 9. Find your place there in your Bibles or on your iPads. And uh, we're going to go down a road and just talk a little bit about this story of Jesus opening a blind man's eyes. Um, The first thing I want to mention about this man at the temple is that He had an escalating Christology, you know, those long, big words. All it means is a progressive revelation of who Jesus was. And this is how God works in our lives. Uh, He who you thought was just a man in a book all of a sudden becomes something so much more. But it's progressive in nature. And as we look at the uh, chapter, uh, verse 11, the man who who was blind notices that Jesus is um, just when they asked him, he said he's a man named Jesus. Verse 17, as he escalates his revelation, he is a prophet, he's told, or he's, he mentions. Verse 31, when asked again to describe Jesus, now he describes him as a, as a man of God. And finally, in verse 38, he cries out, Lord, I believe. Isn't that the way it goes? Isn't that beautiful in our lives? Now, some of you are hogtied in a moment but for a lot of us it was over a span of time that he became more and more precious more and more real and wherever you are in that track uh, kind of find yourself but he doesn't rest until we worship because that's what we were made for Um, I'd also like to mention a couple quotes from William Temple who had a, uh, a book called The Readings in St. John's Gospel? William Temple writes this The man born, the man blind from birth, is every man. For it is a part of that sin of the world which the Lamb of God bears away, that by nature we are blind. His story is our story. By nature, We are blind until our eyes are opened by Christ, the light of the world. Isn't that beautiful? So as we read this story, I guess it chimes on my heart because that's me. That's me at that temple. A 19-year-old sailor who had no regard for God or for the gospel or religion at all. Blind, man. And he interrupted my life. Uh, C.K. Bar- Barrett, Barrett said this, This short chapter expresses, perhaps, more vividly and more completely than any other, John's conception of the work of Christ. Now I want you to think about where it lands in John's Gospel. I believe this is chronologically accurate Although sometimes when the gospel writers chose their stories, it wasn't necessarily chronological, they kind of I think this one was where he left the temple, he left the scribes and Pharisees who would not see the light of the world, who rejected him as light, blind they were, but thought they could see. and he comes upon a man who is now really blind and He gives sight. Notice the beautiful correlation as he passes out of the presence of men who rejected him to one who saw the light. The the mantra of those in this chapter who still had not seen the light, uh, we will see later, but there are a couple of verses where they say, We know. We know this is not a man of God. We know this and we know that. And that's their mantra. and as, 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 as long as you say, we know, I know, then you know nothing. I know all about Christianity. I know religion. I know church life. I know, I know, I know. You know nothing when we say we know. It's to the man who knew nothing at the temple as he begged blind who got the sight Jesus can't do anything for those who think they see. He can only do those who confess blindness. So go with me, if you will. John chapter 9, that's kind of an overview. We're going to find a lot of characters in this chapter. We're going to find, of course, the man born blind. We're going to find uh, the neighbors that were confused by the whole situation who, who couldn't make out what had happened to him and weren't even sure it was him. And then we're going to find um, the Pharisees and scribes who rejected the whole work and uh, just great characters through this narrative. But we begin in chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, now stop and scan your thoughts over that phrase. In his passing by, some of the greatest moments of life are caught when you are passing by. Not going anywhere definite, just in the flow of life. And I would encourage you not to miss the moments in the flow of life. Going from class to class, from desk to water cooler. Going on this errand and that errand, a trip to Home Depot, is a passing by. You know, your cashier at Home Depot needs Jesus if they don't have him. Who knows a word you might say in the passing by. Jesus of all men redeemed the time and never missed an opportunity. As he was passing out from those who coldly rejected him, he was simply passing by. And notice what he says. It says, John writes, he saw a man stop there. Don't go any further. He saw a man. Notice it does not say he saw a blind man. The description is that he saw a man, first of all and primarily. Don't miss that. What do you see when you look at people? Perhaps a blind man. By the way, who looks at a blind man? They can't look back at you who notices a blind person we can walk right by him and not even think twice but when jesus saw this he saw a man that was blind what do you see when you see a crippled person person that can't walk well or a person has learning disabilities what do you see jesus sees a human being who happens to be struggling with something physical here. The order is vital. Oh, I feel so sorry for that person There's No, you see a human being. People that are blind, I would suppose, people that are crippled, that have disabilities in some way, do not want you to see the disability. They want you to see their humanness, their humanity, if you will. Jesus doesn't see a blind man He sees a man that's blind. There's a world of difference. Don't miss that. Notice verse 1. He saw a man who was blind from his birth. He had never seen. When he opened up his eyes out of his mother's womb, nothing was there. He did not know colors. He knew nothing. Now, people that are blind, I, I understand, can... very sensitive to hearing and sensing situations all the other senses are more acute because they cannot see so this man as he sat by the gate we find out later he was begging probably heard all the statements that were made going by him statements that you didn't think perhaps he could hear he heard and notice as he's passing by, the disciples asked him. Now, why did the disciples ask Jesus this question that he's going to ask him? Obviously, first of all, he saw Jesus focus his attention on the blind man. They watched Jesus as he looked over and saw the man laying there. And, it's, and as if reading the thoughts of Jesus, they asked a particular question. Interesting. Look at the question they ask. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born in this condition, condition of blindness? Get into the narrative. Walk with Jesus. He walks by, he looks at the blind man. And they're looking at him, looking at the blind man, and they think, well, what's he thinking? What's he thinking? What's he thinking? Well, he must be thinking that this man sins somehow. So let's ask him. Be careful when you begin to read the mind of Jesus thinking that he thinks in a certain way toward anything. Amen. Quick to judge. Quick to condemn. Quick to be non-compassionate toward people. And we think, well... Jesus would like to see him drilled into the wall just like me. No, he would not. He thinks completely different than we think. I think the blind man overheard this question, and I think he'd heard the question a thousand times. Because nobody saw him as somebody valuable. Nobody saw him as a man like Jesus looked at him. People will never look at you with the value that God looks at you. Do you know that? Jesus values you as an individual human being like no other. And if you're looking for people to commend you or to build you up, forget it. They'll never do it. about the only thing you most get from people is they'll tear you down for something. That sounds kind of negative, doesn't it? That's kind of real, isn't it? But Jesus sees you as a man, but they're asking, "Who sinned?" Now, where did they get this from? This was a hot question of the day. It's all about consequences. It's all about reaping and sowing. If this guy was born blind, one of, actually one of three things could have happened. We're going to discount the first right off the bat, but it was a topic of the day. It's called reincarnation. They talked about it. The rabbis rejected it, but the people talked about it. Don't you remember when Herod killed John the Baptist and Jesus showed up doing miracles? What was his first thought? Oh, it's John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. Reincarnation. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? What do they say? Well, some of you say you're Elijah. Reincarnated. Now the rabbis instantly reject that. But there are masses of religions that don't. Hindus and Buddhists and... You were something in a past life. And if you're suffering now, you weren't very nice in a past life. (laughs) Or you create around you a thing called karma. You've heard of karma? You do good karma, good karma comes back to you. When the tsunami hit, that whole area was just mass bad karma, wasn't it? Um, this This is still going around. Do you know when the earthquake hit in Haiti a few years ago? Pat Robertson came out and said, This is God's judgment on the nation of Haiti for their voodoo practices. Stupid statement. Does God judge through calamity? Yes, He does. I mean, read the book of Exodus and watch Moses and the plagues. But it's really smart to keep our mouths shut as Christians when things happen because we don't know. That's right. It's mystery. Nothing new. The second thing was this: they pulled a couple scriptures out of the Old Testament and let me let me kind of give them to you. Genesis chapter twenty-five, verse twenty-two says that. And this is where they got the idea that a child could actually sin within the womb. Talking about um, Esau and Jacob, the children struggled, they battled, they fought within her. So much so that she said, what's going on? That's a loose paraphrase, but that's kind of what it means. And then they took another scripture that talked about Psalm 58. That's kind of creepy, isn't it? Karen said, you're not going to show that, are you? I said, yeah, I'm going to show that. Even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward, spreading lies. They took these few verses and said, you know, a child can sin inside there. And some of you ladies who've carried children, you might have thought that child was sinning inside of you. (laughs) Had a rough time, man. I never forget when Carol was pregnant with John. We'd sit there in the bed and watch him kick. That was a lot of fun. Choo, 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 little leg kicking out. Hey, let me get that picture off. It's creeping out some of you. <laughs> then it talked about the parents who could pass on their children their sins. Did their parents sin? In Exodus 25 and 6, it says, "'And you shall not bow down to them,' meaning idols, "'or worship them. "'For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God.'" Punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those that hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Whoa, certainly sounds like the sins of the parents are visiting the children. Let me just just mention in passing what I believe about that passage. Your father was an alcoholic. It does not mean that you will become an alcoholic. But it does mean mean that you were exposed to that kind of sin. And your possibility of repeating that is greater than if your father had not been an alcoholic. That's all that means. That we tend to cycle behavior. You can stop the behavior anytime you want. But you can see it and you're more tendent to it. That's all that means. I, I love this next picture. Uh, It's drawn out of Jeremiah 31, 29. The the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. That's all that means. But their question was, who sinned? The father or them? Look at verse 2. Verse 3. Jesus answered. Notice his answer. Uh, They gave him option A and B. He said, you know, there's really option C here. He added to the exam, to the question. A or B wasn't right. Look at verse 3. It gives you C. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Quit looking at the blindness and look at what God can do. The idea that this man will always remain blind in his condition, that's all they were thinking of. The, The whole theology of God was just this kind of level. That God cannot change a life. That he can't transform a life. Jesus was never frustrated with these disciples, scribes and Pharisees, anybody he ever confronted. He was never frustrated because he believed in what he could do in their lives. I'm convinced that a lot of the guys that confronted him in these chapters were in the early church with their hands held uh, high worshiping Jesus Christ. I think a lot of them got saved because he knew what he could do in their lives. Do you know what he can do in your neighbor's life? Do you know what he can do in your coworker's life? Do you know what he can do in your husband's life, in your wife's life, in your children? Do you understand that he can open their eyes and give them sight? Amen. Why are you so involved in trying to organize and manipulate everything when God is well able to adjust the life? I hadn't planned on saying that. That just kind of popped out. Look, look at the next verse. Then he says this. We must, notice, we must work the works of him. The word must is a little Greek word, ia, and it means, it is a very strong verb in the Greek. We must. Imperative. We must work, notice, the works of Of him. I love that. I love that. Let me tell you why. Because it's not my work. It's his work. We must work his works, not ours. I love that. For so many years as a Christian, I was told, work, work, work. And I got what they call burned out fast, fast, fast. Wore out by the treadmill of religion. Wore out by the demands of men. When you serve the Lord in the spirit of His power and it's His work, you never get tired. It's a constant refreshing. If you get burned out and tired in the service of the Lord, you're doing it according to your own strength and power, by your own efforts. When He works, it's beautiful, man. It's so easy, it's so free, it's so delightful. Surprises are around every corner. You never know who you're going to meet and who you get to talk to. Amen. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Well, when is the night that he's referring to? Good question. It's when you can't work anymore it's when you're done life is so brief and so short soon we will all be gone we're just passing through and you only have so many days and weeks and months and minutes and the time for God to work on our lives is not next month it's not next year It's not when you get your life together, you know, and you pull it all together and everybody goes, oh, you're just great, aren't you? You know, you just got it all together. You got no problems and issues. God wants to work right now in your life and in my life in spite of us. We only have a short time. Be serious about it. Be determined about it be focused about it, be purposeful about your relationship with Jesus Christ because you don't have tomorrow. All we have is today. We're, we're great at making plans for six months, two years from now. Boy, we're really going to get back and just get right. Do it now. As long as I am in the world, I had a fellow tell me a long time ago uh, that... Um, uh, he was, an, he was an atheist, I think he was a Satan worshiper or something, it was kind of, I, I met him on the route that I was, I used to fill vending machines, which was a really cool job, because you get all the honey buns and things you want all day long, you just kind of eat them, anyway, so I did that for about a year, and so I was talking to this guy on the route as I was filling the snack machine with M&Ms and all that stuff, and he said, well, you know, that, that verse says, you know, Jesus is uh, the light of the world as long as he's in the world, well, he's not in the world, so there's other lights we go to. I said, no, I think he's still here. (laughs) I I think he's right in front of you right now. Off he went. Jesus is here. He's the light of the world. Now, when the rapture comes and he's taken out through us, the light of the world will be gone. But then the Holy Spirit comes right back and and people get saved during the tribulation. Now, verse 6 says this. Having said these things, I personally love these verses because I have always enjoyed spitting. Seriously. From teenager up, man, I, just, I could just spit all day. Just enjoy the practice. Spitting contest, love it. You know, chewing tobacco. You want me to spit on you? Okay. So this is, yeah, did we lose it? Uh, 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 unplug it out there. I can't pound on the pulpit? What kind of preacher doesn't pound on the pulpit? I, I thought that was, that's what they teach in seminary. Back to spitting. That's why I miss chewing tobacco, which is a terrible practice. and It gives you cancer in the mouth, and I'd highly disrecommend it. That's not even a word. But, 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 but I used to love getting a good wad of molasses and, you know, just spitting. So I love these verses. This is so earthy, which is a great John Steinbeck word. Okay, look at verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Now, look, if you're going to make enough mud wiping a guy's eyes, you're, you're just not going. Pfft, pfft, pfft. You're getting a good live, you know, You're getting a good, good amount up. You might get two or three. You might get two or three loads up before it's all over. Amen. You want to create a nice little pile down there. OK, so you fill up this. Uh, what is wrong with you people? You don't have saliva in your mouth. It's just, you know, it's what the body does. That's what it does. Look at verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he, he anoints the man's eyes with the... Here's mud in your eye. It's the very thing that would put your eyes out. It's the very thing that would make you blind, gives you sight. Do you understand the non-reasoning of the moment? If you can see and I get a bunch of mud spit going on and I smear it in your eyes, guess what? You're blind now. He takes the very thing that makes no sense at all to give the man sight. And then he says to him, go, very simple, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The word Siloam means scent. Now, a couple more things and we got to close because I'm running out of time. Very quickly. This is the same pool that for seven days they had come down and dipped water to take up into the temple, to mix with wine, to pour upon the altar, to worship the Lord. For seven days the priest came down and dipped out of the pool of Siloam. Sent down there to dip. Came up on one side of the altar pours the water on the other side pours the wine the wine runs down these these little canals mixing together pouring out of the altar and they're worshipping the Lord as a poured offering for seven days beautiful religious service beautiful religious setting incredible moment religiously but nobody had their eyes opened Jesus said let me show you how the pool of Siloam really works you need some wine? Here's my wine. And he spits into the mud. Mixing with the water of the pool of scent, his eyes are open. Because when Christ comes to you personally and opens your eyes, your eyes are open. Religion will never do a thing for you, churches can't help you. Only Jesus and a personal contact with him will open your eyes. And when he opens your eyes, it's 2020. He had the eyes of a newborn. Amazing. And so he went and washed. And he came back seeing. One more thing about that pool. Salome means sent. We were all blind in our sin. God sent his son. When Jesus died and paid the price, he went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. We didn't pull him out of heaven, God sent him to us. God sent Jesus, Jesus sent the Spirit, and as the Spirit sends us out, we cycle the experience all over again. God using us to help people's eyes to be open. Three things. First of all, he involves us in the work. What a privilege. Amen. What a glory. He involves us in helping blind people see Christ. And people are blind. Their whole thinking patterns off. Joan Rivers, who's in the hospital now. Say a prayer for Joan Rivers. She's in serious condition in a coma. Recently she was interviewed during uh, a particular red carpet event and she said, you know, most of my friends at my age have died. And you know, we sit around at the funeral and we talk about it and people say, oh, they're better off, they're better She said, they're not better off. She had a home up in Beverly Hills. People are blind to anything beyond this life. Robin Williams, funny guy, great guy, sweet guy. Stewardess wrote a book years ago that, where she flies from L.A. to New York and so she has those late flights and she has literally served hundreds and hundreds of celebrities. She wrote a book, The Top Ten Best and The Top Ten Worst. Guess who made the top ten best at the top? Robin Williams. And yet because he was blind to anything beyond the issues that he dealt with, he took his life this world, no matter how much success it looks like they have, are blind without Christ. No money can solve that. What does the world do? If you, when the world gives them a pair of glasses. What does a blind man do with a pair of glasses? Hold him back and give him eye drops. Oprah's pouring eye drops in all the blind people's eyes. I won't say it. I'll hold back. is the best the world can do is offer a blind man glasses and eye drops. Jesus touches him and opens his eyes. Amen. Praise the Lord. You don't need glasses when he does it. He involves us in the work. Second of all, he sees our humanity. He sees how human we are. He loves us. He, first of all, doesn't see us as a sinner. Although we are sinners. And he does see us as that. But first of all, before he runs and sees how sinful and wicked we are, he sees us as a human being. Do you know Adolf Hitler was a human being to God? As wicked as that man was? Jeffrey Dahmer is a human being. A creation of the creator God. Do you think he loves loved him any less than he loves you? He sees us in our humanness. And finally, man, he just opens this guy's eyes. Isn't that good?